You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, David Robertson returns with six fresh deck lists for March of the Machine, The Aftermath. We look at Sarkon, Soul of Flame, Obnixilis Kingpin, Four Mana Narset, Urborg Scavengers, and more. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson and I am joined as always by the host, the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Cave Dan Online. He is Dan Trever. Looking a little jet lagged. What is going on, my friend? I'm a little worse for wear, David, but I'm alive. I'm still kicking. Back from Taiwan. <laughs> still here. Yes. How you doing? I'm well. I am well. I uh, took a few trips myself back from Memphis, back from Boston for the marathon. So, yeah, you've been all over the place. Now, were you in Minneapolis for the Pro Tour, Magic Con Minneapolis? I was in Minneapolis while the Pro Tour was happening, but I instead went on a hundred mile bike ride and attended a two year old's birthday party, which I'm sure <laughs> they'll remember forever. Mm-hmm. And I took my missus to a very uh, lovely dinner, and uh, so I did not. Even watch a single second of the coverage, actually. Not particularly interested in Standard in general, and not particularly interested in uh, Fable and... Um, <laughs> what's the the 3-2 vampire? Oh, Blood Tithe Harvester. Harvester, yeah. The, the, the mirrors over and over again. Like, the gameplay just wasn't interesting to me. Even, like, Frank Carson's, like, spicy list. It was just like, oh, man, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> tough time to announce that Standard's not rotating for another year. <laughs> What was Frank Carson's spicy list? I also did not check the coverage. That was he he compiles like a list of the spiciest tech or whatever. I see. At the end, uh, people should go on Frank Carson's Twitter feed. Obviously, he's just a very pleasant uh, magic personality in a sea of unpleasant personalities. I highly recommend just <laughs> <laughs> interacting with Frank Carson's way of of uh, enjoying the game. But uh, he yeah he compiles a bunch of decks he thinks are cool or technology that uh, people might not be aware of. So. Gotta expect we're going to see a ban announcement soon. Aaron Forsythe basically said as much without saying it. He just, they just haven't drafted the copy yet. So, Are we still on the like Monday morning is when the ban announcements happen thing? Or nope. we're just, it could happen at any time. <laughs> could happen at literally any time. They don't even know when it's going to happen. He's, yeah, he's more of like, a, you know, I am become death, <laughs> the destroyer of worlds. Like, he's just ready for the Oppenheimer movie this summer. Yeah. All right. So you survived Minneapolis. You felt the electricity, the excitement crackling in the air, but you did not participate yourself. I saw some magic cosplayers, you know, provocatively dressed, wandering through the sculpture garden and stuff. So that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> lovely city, lovely time of year. Yeah, I mean, people are like, oh, man, Minneapolis is sick. Like, why, why is the city not more crowded? It's like, well, it's not the first week of May most of the year. May in Minneapolis and September in Minneapolis is literally the best place on planet Earth. <laughs> Honestly, the weather's spectacular. The bugs are not bad in either of those months. It's still dry. Northeast Minneapolis art crawl. Yeah, that's the week uh, before uh, Memorial Day. So that's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm jealous. Art of Whirl is what it's called. And then they have these art things all through the night and you like, and they like shut down the bridge and all these people are like biking through these weird, like psychedelic colored, whatever. All right. I'm going to come visit you soon. There it is. <laughs> Minneapolis. I'll be there soon. We'll do our, our first live show in person. Well, that'd be pretty sweet. All right, David. So... We miss you on our set review, our very compressed set review episode for March of the Machine, The Aftermath. But you have not been idle. 
You've been traveling all over the world and you've been brewing up a storm, right? You already sent me like a dozen lists for cards from March of the Machine Aftermath, which we're going to dive into today. Uh, just got a whole bunch of deck lists, first drafts, first crack, when the inspiration is fresh. But I do want to ask you just at the top about your overall impressions of the set and you know, if there's anything you want to add to what Morgan and I talked about. So I'm famously, um, let's use the uh, politically correct term, I'm famously skeptical of the uh, Magic the Gathering like narrative. Like, oh, what uh, big bad are they going to face? And then what uh, Planeswalker is going to be, you know, defeated or turn to the dark side or be killed or marry another Planeswalker? Like, none of that stuff matters to me. This is just a game of resources. I spend some resources, my opponent spends some resources, and eventually I end up at zero life. <laughs> or they or they do. <laughs> um so, having said all that, though, I do miss the block format, not because I felt immersed in a world or um, I needed more time for these, you know, knockoff, uh, all the heroes come together, all the heroes don't come together, which has been happening in the comic book since like 1982, right? So, it's like a 40-year-old uh, sort of narrative trick at this point. It's more just that I miss the synergy-focused decks. And you had a lot more cards, right, when you had two sets that could have a certain mechanic or whatever. Now, if they don't, like, for instance, um, backup. If you like backup a lot, or if you hate it, you're just not going to see it again, right? It's just like we we had our one shot at it. If they, you know, got the power level a little weaker than they wanted or a little uh, higher than they wanted, we're just stuck with it. Uh, the only thing that, is, that isn't true for us sagas, because I think they realize that Planeswalkers are really a design problem and sagas are awesome. Uh, and so they can print sagas all the time. But, you know, it's like mutate. Well, it seems like maybe they didn't get that quite where they wanted. Uh, but we just we don't see mutate again. And so that's the thing that I miss is the coherence of the um, the mechanics. So if, if, and it's a big if, um, these smaller sets allow them to continue to explore mechanics or to flesh out some mechanics. Now, my understanding is that these sets are designed like a year and a half ahead of time. And when mom comes out, they don't have time to alter, uh, you know, these aftermath cards if they missed low or high on some mechanic. But in theory, uh, they provide an outlet to flesh out, you know, X amount of cards more with kicker or something for your uh, Roost of Drake's deck. <laughs> so just to clarify, when you say these sets, are you referring just to March of the Machine Aftermath or to a hypothetical future in which we have small supplemental sets after the main ones? Yeah, I, I'm predicting we have a lot of small... There's a lot of other things that are, uh, as we would say, like in the experimental world, world like uh, commingling with this variable. So it might be that Aftermath is very unpopular and it could be because that they are selling five set packs or five card packs at the price of 15 card packs and people can't play limited with it, right? Mm. So then they'd say like, oh, the set is a failure. That doesn't mean it's a design failure. It might be a failure because of those other things. So it's tough to um, pull apart like whether it's a success or failure. But if they were to continue, and I hope they do, I like the idea of it just like flushing out the mechanical world as opposed to the narrative world. I don't care about what's happening on uh, Goblacon after whatever <laughs> alleged battle took place. But it's like, oh, more cards that have like landfall. That's kind of interesting. Or more things that interact with battles, although none of these cards really seem to. In that respect, Aftermath is like the worst example of a small set because it's completely scattered. Like March of the Machine itself was set on 35 different planes because there's 35 battles, one for each plane. Grabbing cards from every single set, like little callbacks to literally every plane Magic has visited. And then Aftermath was more of the same, just like, 50 random cards, one from each world. Some worlds got two or three, but there was no mechanical coherence to it. Yeah, so this specific set I don't like because, again, Mom didn't really have a, uh, <laughs> a mechanical coherence to it either, other than, I guess, the battles, whether people think those are wins or not is... <laughs> I'm surprised people haven't just been calling this them out as a miss since they barely showed up at all Uh in any Pro Tour deck and Standard, and they aren't a big part of Pioneer or Modern. I mean, this is just like, we created a whole new... It's like if they printed Planeswalkers and then nobody played with them. Like, at least, you know, <laughs> Jace saw some play or something. I mean, it's, it's crazy how little this whole new card type, you know, when's, the last time we had a card type was like seven years ago, how old are Planeswalkers? 
Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah, we just barely play them. Like, people have just started cutting them. Every time you see a list now, it's like, oh, I'm only playing two of such and such. Anyway, I guess the point I'm making is I like the idea of a small set. I like the idea of this being their outlet for commander cards as opposed to printing commander-specific sets, although that's not what they've declared that they're going to do, but they have so many legends in this set that it's like a bunch of de facto commanders, and I wish they would do that and just abandon printing commander-specific sets and focus all their time on designing cards that can be played in all the formats because any card printed to standard or modern or pioneer can be played in commander cards that are printed directly to commander can only be played there or or legacy so it's just strange that they've got all this energy focused like you can print a card for commander (laughs) even with weird commander text x amount of opponents or whatever which some of these cards have uh and still make it standard legal yeah i mean my conspiracy theory is that the only reason they did this set at all or they the only reason that they did the D-Spark plotline was so that they could take our beloved Planeswalker characters and make more that you could use as commanders. They could have just changed it to say that you can use any Planeswalker as a commander. They decided not to do that, so what we need instead is more Nyssa creatures so that the Nyssa fans can have more Nyssa commanders to choose from. Yeah, I guess I am not a commander player, (laughs) but is that like giving people a lot of thrills? Like changing 10 cards and then building a slightly different Nissa deck with the exact same colors. Like, is that something people do? So it's like, Oh, I need two Lotus Cobras and two guys cradles. Cause I've got these basically functionally identical decks with slightly different Nissas as my commander. Well, if you follow enough commander chatter, you, you find people getting super excited for duplicative versions of effects. Like they can now get two Lotus Cobras, one in for your 99 because people crave synergy. Like, this is something that's been completely lost with Commander. Like they, they cannot actually build around card interactions because you, you have to like fill your deck with tutors to do that. <laughs> so they're missing like a huge chunk of the Magic play experience that I think we would not even consider playing Magic without that. Like we don't play good stuff piles. We only play decks where we're interested in specific interactions of cards. And you know whatever it takes to like bring the Commander players back into the fold. Like yes, you can actually pick cards that do a similar thing, get multiple copies of them and like have them interact in a regular way. Like that, that is a fun way to enjoy the game of magic and the rule system. Different strokes for different folks. I don't begrudge giving them an extra Lotus Cobra if that's what it takes. Yeah. I mean, so I guess to me, I like the idea of aftermath. I like it as a replacement for commander. I like it. The future creation of aftermath like sets as a way to expand on mechanics. Um, so I guess for me, it's a win. I don't play limited, though, and I think a lot of people do play limited. So in that sense, like just buying packs as ways to find singles is sort of famously a mugs game. So I don't know how that process works. You know, for us who just cards are now available to rent, we rent them, we try them out. And we, you know, we're enjoying magic in a very narrow band for that mm-hmm. specific thing. The small set is really cool, I think, for how most people enjoy magic, which is either through commander. They might get something out of this for people who play limited. Uh, and that's kind of how they build their collection. Then this set seems terrible, right? Because it's literally cards you cannot open in limited. Or can you just like <laughs> spend a shit ton of money and get like <laughs> whatever, 45 packs and <laughs> like three at a time open them and simulate a limited game i mean because there's no common effects right so it's, there's no commons yeah yeah there's only one one drop in the entire sets and no commons yeah and now that you're mentioning this i'm like are these cards going to be on magic online like a lot of cards enter magic online through drafting so what if it turns out we just can't rent these because nobody's opening them nobody's buying the five card packs on magic online i don't know Anyway, so that's the set as a whole. Mord and I did our best to like rank the good ones for Modern and Pioneer, but we didn't get all of them. And I know, David, from talking to you, that there are some cards on your radar that you, know, you think have some interesting potential for Pioneer specifically. And actually, a few of them are showing up right here in some of these deck lists that you've got drawn up. So I would love to hear more about uh, the cards you're excited about. Yeah, I think before we get into that, though, we need to take care of a little bit of housekeeping at the top here. We want to give a big shout out to our newest patron. They are Jordan E. Welcome to Jordan. Uh, Welcome aboard. Uh, Right now, since it is kind of spoiler season 1.1 or whatever of mom, there are tons of ideas 
uh, floating around about these new cards. And one of the cool places to check them out is our Discord. So if you're interested in checking that Discord out, supporting the podcast, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing and join at whatever level is comfortable for you. And one of the cool things you do is you get to hear about people trying decks so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're very successful. There's stuff to build on. Sometimes they just say, all right, this is actually kind of a dead idea and you've saved yourself the, uh, the ticks, <laughs> which we do a lot, right? We say, all right, we tried this. It didn't work. Hopefully we're saving <laughs> our fans, <laughs> our supporters from having to make the same mistakes. We're trying to like talk each other out of it, but also at the same time, talk someone in our discord into trying it so that <laughs> they can take the L's and share their findings with us. Uh, but uh, yeah, big thanks to all of our listeners, all of our patrons. Your support really helps us a lot. So it helps us keep putting out this show. And yeah, we'd love to have you join us in the Faithless family. All right. So yeah, welcome aboard Jordan E. So the first deck I want to talk about, you guys did not mention this card, but Sarkin Soul of Flame. So this is a, uh, is it legend? That is not spell-based, so in theory, Dan should like it. Um, one, a blue and a red for a 2-4. Uh, I got to get it up here. Human Shaman? I, I don't know the type. <laughs> Legendary Planeswalker Sarkin, right? Oh, no, it's a creature. <laughs> no, it's a creature. <laughs> it's my commander. So... I can what finally build my Sarkin just... commander deck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Human Shaman sounds right. It is a Human Shaman. 2-4, dragon spells you cast cost one colorless less to cast. Whenever a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, you may have Sarkin Soul of Flame become a copy of it until end of turn, except its name is Sarkin Soul of Flame, and it's legendary in addition to its other types. So what this means is that if you have a legendary dragon enter play, Sarkin can copy that legendary dragon. It keeps its own name, though, so you don't legend rule. Um, but it loses its text, so you can't cast a second dragon once it copies. Uh, with the with the reduction, you can obviously still cast a second dragon, but it no longer has its own text. It becomes a copy of the uh, the dragon. So the natural curve, right? If we want to imagine it, is Sarkin on three, and we actually have two amazing options for dragons on five mana, right? Which you could naturally cast on turn four. Uh, those are Glorybringer and Goldspan Dragon. Now, we had played a bunch with both of these cards, and I'd played a bunch with a blue-red, like, Counterspell Shell with a uh, main deck four Goldspan, like, two Glorybringer. Because we have this as, like, a f- sort of pseudo-ramp card, and then it turns into sort of like a finisher at the same time, I think we just go up to the full eight. So I've got four Goldspan, four Glorybringer, three Sarkin. I think the f- one Kiora, the first Kiora is probably better than the four Sarkin. Uh, two Galazeth Prismari. I wanted another... Dragon, I wanted a four mana dragon. Uh, typically, I want 10 dragons in my Silumgar Scorn list. Still four Silumgar Scorn. If you are playing dragons and you are playing blue, it's still the best counter spell in the format by a lot. Um, Fiery Impulse, consider. These are all excellent uh, one mana cards, especially with Galazeth, because it lets you play them the turn it comes into play. Same with uh, Cura. And then one Negate, one Sensor, three Bone Crusher Giant, and a uh, Draconic Roar. So the draw of Sarkin here is that it's one of the cards, one of several options that takes you from three into five, which is a shell that you don't really see that often, but David, you've explored many iterations of this in Is It Colors with cards like Kiora, with cards like, I don't know, did you ever try Dragon's Horde or Orb of Dragon Kai and things like that? <laughs> I have played Dragon's Horde. I've played the two mana artifact that taps to make it dragon mana. <laughs> Right, right. So you can definitely do it in Is It Colors. You can ramp three into five. Sarkon does that as well while also becoming this like bonus dragon. So you get this really explosive attack on turn four with this haste dragon. Um, is, is that what we're seeing here? It's like the most powerful of the mana rocks? Yeah. So if you think of like Kiora, we liked it sometimes because it would... A, it's, it's untap interaction with Glorybringer is powerful. And then B, it actually drew cards, right? So it was like this value engine slash mana rock. Sarkin doesn't draw cards, but it actually like leads to ending the game quickly and gives you, now you won't always get to pick, but 
copying a goldspan dragon and getting two treasures and they each tap for two mana is just an amazing uh, thing to do. And then copying Glorybringer, maybe you only need to exert one, so you exert the Sarkin if you don't have another dragon. That leaves your Glorybringer free to exert the following turn. Or you can just like, it's literally almost like a board wipe, right? You just double exert. So yeah, I think this is like, you, you know, you, you fire impulse on one, you counterspell on two, you play Sarkin, they play whatever, their three drop, and then you play a five and like, you know, sweep their board. You do eight to them in the air and make a bunch of extra mana that allows you to leave up counterspell or or whatever. Um, I just I just think that the like explosive turn on four is actually so much better than like Kyura plus draw, which is good against you know like a black red kind of shell. But there's so few mid range matchups left in Pioneer. Um, you actually want the ability to like close the game quite quickly. All right. So my question for you, David. The shell you just described for us, I would say, is the conservative approach using the good proven dragons, right? Goldspan Dragon, Glorybringer, and to some extent, Galazeth. These are proven in different ways. But these are not the dragons that, like, really double up with Sarkhan. Like, there are other dragons that, like, actually trigger on each dragon that attacks. And if you were to use Sarkhan to copy those, you would get exponential bonuses, you know? So I'm curious if you would entertain those, even if it requires making the deck like a little bit worse the cards i'm thinking of specifically are uh, invasion of tarkir which could just replace the bone crusher giants um that flips into a dragon that triggers on every dragon that attacks and then uh the new one from the last set, the new ojitai i'm struggling to think of the name here it's a uh, ojitai and something zergo yeah yeah zergo and ojitai which costs five requires a white pip but it says whenever one or more dragons you control Deal combat damage to a player or battle. You get to look at your top three cards. One and goes into your hand. Uh, the rest on the bottom. So with two of those, no, is that true? So whenever one or more, oh, because it copies the text. Oh, it is one or more. Gosh, so okay, they so they each trigger once, though, is what you're saying. All right, so it's not exponential. That's disappointing. All right, well, forget what I said about that. But nevertheless, <laughs> invasion of Tarkir does still work in this respect. And, you know, other dragons, like, uh, what's the one that creates a dragon whenever you attack? Like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, the ability to actually, like, double up a specific effect. Yeah, okay, so the main attraction of dragons, in my opinion, is you to play Silmgar Scorn. So just dragons by themselves are not good enough creatures, right? I don't think, what it, you can pick whichever dragon you like there. None of them is better than just a normal, four, the better four mana plays, right? They're not better than Chariot. They're not better than Shieldred. So th that's one mana less. We're paying five mana for a dragon. So the appeal is we are getting to play Silumgar's Corn, in my opinion. And so adding the third color is way more painful when you understand that you want blue blue on your second turn. And I think this is, by the way, when people complain about Pioneer, they they are often complaining about this. They want to make their deck like locked into all these synergies, and then they like refuse to kind of pay the price that the format asks of them. So like the Tarkir one, they imagine the time when they get to spend two mana and they get to do like three or four damage at sorcery speed. But that just doesn't interact with any card in the format except for Mana Elf exactly when you're on the play. Like it doesn't interact with um, Grease Fang. It doesn't interact with, you know, somebody like getting Jace back and, and activating it at instant speed with the, uh, the three mana Planeswalker, you know, like in the Rona Shells. Like, just sorcery speed 2 damage or 3 damage is just not playable, especially in a deck that doesn't have that many damage sources. So, and you can you never get to copy that 4-4 dragon, right? You hit it or kill it somehow. It never, like, flips typically when you have a Sarkin in play. Sarkin's copying the dragon that you played after you played the Tarkir, and then you're having to have one of those attack the Tarkir to get the 4-4 dragon. And then if you don't have a dragon the next turn, you aren't even turning Sarkir into a dragon to attack with your flipped Tarkir thing. All right, so we have to go to modern so we can tribal flames the evasion of Tarkir. Yeah, there you go. The evasion actually is better in modern. This is something that Lawson and Dakfade in 07 have been actually putting up some results with. Yeah, exactly. Because you have these you have these cards that are already playable, right? Like two mana do five damage is very good. We've experimented with that card. Uh flipping the dragon and getting a, a trigger out of it right away is at least worth something thinking about. 
Um, or like Tarmogoyf is again, like there's just no giant two drop that just flips these cards effortlessly. Mm-hmm. The only one I can think of, which I've thought a little bit about is the, uh, the four, three Minotaur that discards a card when it comes into play. Oh, blood rage brawler. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not that. All right. Let's not play that. Uh, Thunderbrick Regent. That was the other card I was thinking of. So that, that was one where if you do copy that with Sarkon. Eh, they're probably not going to kill it, but if they do, they're getting punished. The the Ward Three Dragon. Yeah. So, but just imagine the timing. So you cast the your dragon on turn four, and you have one mana up. They're choosing not to kill Sarkon before it copies, and they're choosing not to co- counter your four mana dragon. And then, okay, now it copies it, so it gets to attack for four on turn four. That's okay. It's not that impressive. Then you're just like hoping they target it after it's copied it. So you get to do six damage to them. Or I mean, that's just not how it's ever going to happen. So you're killing me here. Like I want to like Sarkin. I just don't see it. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I'm not playing the other, the dragons that don't make Sarkin good. Okay. So you just want more of the gold spans and glory bringers. That's it. Like glory gold span is better than glory bringer. I think quite clearly, like just being able to do eight damage and then leave up all that mana is just so awesome. And then the other problem is, like, you need to have a certain amount of dragons because Sarkin doesn't change permanently, right? The next turn, it's just a random 2-4 dude on the ground. He's not doing much. So that's where cards, like, I think Consider and uh, Dig Through Time are a little bit more useful because you actually do want to find, like, dragons. And you get, like, way more paid off by finding a dragon in the middle of the game if Sarkin's in play. Hmm. Okay, well, if you test this, I mean, I, I would like to keep track of every time you draw Sarkin if he's actually better than Kiora or the other options you tried. Yeah, exa- exactly. Then that's the main question, right? Sarkin, the turn it comes into play, cannot allow you to fire Impulse, does not allow you to cast Consider. Um, those are the two big ones. I do think that the Glorybringer thing is also kind of nice against specifically Atraxa. You actually get to just kill Atraxa. Oh, that's nice. And do eight. Yeah. Exactly enough. So you can even, like, that means you can, like, get to tap out against these, like, Transmog lists, which... Like, it's not great for them to get into Traxa, but you just do aid and kill their creature, and they have, like, a whole border left to deal with. All right, so that is Is It Dragons with Sarkon Soul Aflame. The next card I see you have here is one that's both Mord and I ranked fairly highly. It's Obnixilus, the Captive Kingpin. Two black, red, four, three, flying trample, legendary demon. Whenever one or more opponents... Each lose exactly one life. You get to put a plus one, plus one counter on Obmixilis. And exile your top card to your library, which you have until the end of your, or until your next end step to play. Yeah, so I found this cool 5-0 list that uh, a gentleman named Steven Dykeman posted. Um, he played a really cool list that was taking advantage of Voldaren Thrillseeker and uh, Dreadbore Butcher and Scornblade Berserker. Um, so I included his tweet here where he posts his 5-0. The one thing he notes is he should have played Thought Seasons. He said he boarded in four in all four in all five of his matchups. So we can just move those to the main deck, which I've done. And he's playing a bunch of like speculative cards I don't love. Like there's 1k command. He said he did not need all of his one drops, like the Scornblade Berserker he thought was a little excessive. Um, so I just moved a couple of Nyx lists to the list because he's already playing Fanatical Firebrand, which is kind of like cool tech. Uh, Dreadhorde Butcher, if you play it after the Obnix list, right, they either take one and trigger Obnix list or they block it and kill it and it triggers the Obnix list. Voldar and Thrillseeker is cool. Like putting plus one, plus one counters on Obnix list is awesome. Like it, it gives you that sort of, I don't know if you want to call it a combo kill, but you put it on, it attacks, it's flying trample, right? So it has at least six power. Then you can sack it. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, you kind of do your like finishing move with um, the uh, artifact that can ping. That's banned in Pioneer. Walking Ballista. You get to do your like walking ballista thing where you attack for six, whatever, then you remove all six counters. That's basically what you get to do when you uh, Voldar and um, Thrillseeker the Obnixilis, right? You're, you're putting on a flying trample creature, so it does most of its power, all of its power. But then you sack it and you do all of its power again. And then if that doesn't kill them, Voldar and Thrillseeker is a 1-1. If it gives its plus one, plus one counters to something else, you can sack it to do a damage. Um, so let's just imagine you've got six mana in play or something. You play, uh, Voldar and Thrillseeker. You put two plus one plus one counters on Omnixilis. You sack Voldar and Thrillseeker. You shoot them for one. You put another plus one plus one counter on Omnixilis. You look at your top card. You get to play until end of turn. 
Then you get to attack with an Omnixilus that's at least seven power, assuming no other triggers have happened. Flying Trample. And then you get to sack that to do seven damage. So, like, you just have the ability to just, like, kind of curb people out of nowhere. You don't quite have to do, like, the Yargle thing. You're just playing a much more, like, normal card. It's much more stable, right? Four mana, four, three. Um, so, yeah, it just, it just seemed like a cool ad. First of all, I love Steven Dykeman's dick. I, excuse me. <laughs> I, I love yeah, Steven. Yeah, me too. Same. Yeah, girl, exactly. girl, same. Yeah. <laughs> spectacular i love i love this deck it's just such a cool idea and i think again like backup is just really undervalued and this is just an amazing use for it and so maybe this isn't the exact right configuration and i think we all know that a mixless will be awesome with the cat oven shell like with devil you know it's like a two or three of at the top of the curve but i just love this kind of innovation and trying to you know continue to uh explore this this area so I had not seen this 5-0 list, but it's it's very, very cool. Voldaren Thrillseeker is one of those cards that, you know, it just looks amazing. Like, I haven't actually thought through all the homes for it, but every scenario I'm envisioning drawing it, I'm just having a great turn. I'm just picturing a big smile on my face as I tap my mana and, like, arrange my things on the battlefield and put the counter somewhere. And seeing that as, like, one of the featured cards here, um, yeah, can't wait to try this. Now, the cards that you trimmed to fit this package in, it looks like you, you trimmed some of the one-drop backup creature. Yes, I cut a couple Scornblade Berserkers. I cut a few of the random three-drops that were like value cards, because in theory, Omnixilus is like our value card, because it does draw while it's also killing them, right? So I cut a K-Command. I cut a couple of uh, Call of the Death Dweller. Just don't love that card, so... And I think I cut a land down to 24. I don't know if you 25 land when your curve tops out at two, four drops, especially the four fable. And I guess to put the thought pieces in, you also had to just decrease the creature synergies. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just going, first of all, multiple commenters said thought is the best card in the deck. That is correct. Thought is the best card in the format. It's mm -hmm. weird to not play a deck without all four. And it's like, all right, well, you know, you don't want to just say that in the abstract. What does the, the deck designer who 5 0 with it, he said, I boarded in all four thought seasons and all five matchups. So it's like, well, <laughs> seems like if that was in our main deck, maybe, uh, although, you know, it, it was a, it was a 5 0 with only one game loss. So <laughs> it obviously wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, maybe you want, maybe you want two main. I'd at least start with the four thought seasons, especially again, if, if, if he's saying he brought in all four and all, in all five matchups, then obviously there's a little bit of a home for him. Especially like K Command is just not a very playable card in um, in Pioneer, mm -hmm. and I, I just think like basically, I don't know how good uh, Sword and Blade Berserker is, but he was saying he really wanted it with like synergies with Call of the Death Dweller, and I think just cutting some of those soft synergies and just playing the Demon is like our finisher du jour, um, like with sort of the quote unquote combo kill I'm outlining there is like it's like having the Yargle combo in your deck without having to like do all the nonsense of playing a yard ball and then because <laughs> i mean if you're doing seven trample damage and then sacking it like you're basically doing whatever you're doing 14 it's just that's just so good <laughs> and it's not it does not take that much mana like you can do it on curve turn four the demon turn five you have five lands thrill seeker sack hit it's 14 it's it's crazy so talking about obnixless specifically you've got a in here is like a two of like a curve topper that's powerful but not an essential part of the plan. Is that kind of where you see Obnixilus's ceiling, or is there potentially like is this card just insane? It's like a Corvald class threat that you should just play all four. We'll have to find out. This does not draw, so it's not Corvald, but it doesn't require third color, so maybe it's good that it doesn't have to do that. Um I, I think it's just a really well-designed card. I like that it's actually really soft to red removal. Um, so there's like some synergy there. Like you want to almost wait as long as possible to play it. So you can like pump it in response. I don't think you need to worry about the card advantage as much. I think this is a card that just gets them dead. Like a flample card that's going to grow by one or two power. Mm -hmm. That It just does it by itself. I don't think you need to be like, oh, we don't want to trigger this now on our turn because we won't get the card. It's, you know, sometimes games require that. But most of the time, I think you're just going to attack for five or six on the following turn if it doesn't die. And then in terms of triggering that whenever an opponent loses one life uh you haven't gone too far out of your way i guess the fanatical firebrands are the one card that stands out here is something you typically wouldn't play but the rest of these are sort of plausible even without obnixilus 
So you're not playing things like spike field hazard or, or just like trying to get cheeky with, you know, extra sources of one damage. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even consider that this deck was a thing you could do. So I wanted to at least stay pretty true to um, the creator's vision. And he already started with four fanatical firebrand. That's what kind of triggered me like, wow, it's just a random card. He thought was good enough. That was good enough to five Oh, and specifically said, it's a card that holds counters, clears blockers and allows him to play a ton of ways to kill um, turn one elf. Because when mono green is really good, that is when um, these sack decks struggle. So this is a deck that's like built to be way better against mono green while still being true to its strategy. And then we just get this other random card we get to put on top that interacts with these four firebrands we're going to play anyway. And same with the Dreadhorde Butcher. Like the Butcher's obviously great with Voldar and Thrillseeker. Um, but it's even better if you just have an Obnixilis in play. And okay, normally it sucks to draw a Dreadhorde Butcher on turn five, but now you just get to like throw it at them and it triggers Obnixilis no matter what they do. They can't stop it. So it seems like the common play pattern is we just want to slam the Thrillseeker even on turn three, put the counters anywhere we anywhere we can. Like we don't need to have mana open. We don't need to use the backup. We just need to use it as like a tempo play that will eventually be useful. Yeah, that's my sense. I have not actually watched the league. I believe Steven Dykeman was streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's let's shout him out here. Uh, Twitch.tv backslash the Swish Gaming is Steven Dykeman's uh, Twitch feed, and I'm hopefully you can find some lead play of this deck. All right. So that is a Rectos. Uh, we won't call it sec. Should we call it sec? It's not really sec. It's Rectos. Rectos backup? Rectos backup. Okay. With Obnixilis. Yeah. Cool home. But the next deck you have here is something that wasn't even on my radar at all. Yeah, so this card goes... This card being Obnixilis, Captive King, goes infinite with all will be one. So when a single damage is done some, somewhere, which is very easy to do with all be one in play, then Obnixilis gets a plus one plus one counter, which triggers all will be one, which you can use to target your opponent. They take exactly one damage, which means Obnixilis gets another plus one plus one counter, which means all will be one is triggered. And because you're exiling off the top instead of drawing like Corvald, you actually can't get decked uh, if you're somehow low in cards. So you just get to do all 20 or 30 or 50 or whatever damage to your opponent, uh, assuming they can't kill Obnixilis. And so I've been tooling around with an all be one deck before. Uh, and the problem was that Harness Lightning, which is a super cool find, we should I, I don't know who recommended it to you. You brought it up to me in the uh, chat. It's from our Discord as a, a card that's awesome with all we want. It's way, it was a super overperformer. I think I put two in my deck. Uh, Harness Lightning is bugged on Magic Online, so my league was just aborted. Every time I cast it, I reset the game, and my opponents uh, raged, and so I didn't really <laughs> get to see how good the deck was. So, like, transposing that to the full four Harness Lightnings, again, I, I'm assuming the card is not bugged anymore, but I don't know. And then the full four other hubs, because we want to splash. So the only black card we're playing is Obnixilis, so it's a, a super easy splash. You just play a few dual lands, other hub, plus Harness Lightning, plus um, the Experimental Augury uh, Proliferate Effect, means we just have this, like, free, like, tri-land, basically. And, yeah, the plan's very simple. We just try to resolve all B1 on turn four. Uh, first, so that you can resolve Obnixilis the next turn, and then we've got a wide variety of ways to add a counter, which is four tablet of completion, filigree silex, you can play another hub out of hand. We have four spike field hazards, four harness lightnings, um, a Chandra, or multiple Chandras, a one three-mana Chandra, two four-mana Chandras, and uh, two six-mana Chandras. And then, yeah, you just you just kill them. So looking at the list now, I mean, it looks super sweet. Adding in this secondary Obnix list combo, amazing. You actually have very little blue. Like, I'm wondering if the blue should just be cut. Yeah, no, I thought about it. Um, the splash is free. I thought about just playing black. The problem is, I don't know what the best way to actually, like, find the Obnix list would be then. Like, Experimental Augury as a card that is awesome with all be all be one in play like in the quote-unquote fair games when our opponent is good like we're playing red black they're very good at killing on list right i'm expecting to never win with the combo there is there a black card that is like tutorish enough that also like works with our plan like i i, I couldn't think of one 
All right, well, let me let me float this for you. So one thing that you can do with All Will Be One is you can play battles, and every time you play the battle, you get the slightly underrate spell effect plus a bunch of counters, right? Similar to using Planeswalker as just like spells, but the battles are closer to actual spells. So if there were spells that were attached to battles that were like almost good enough, I wonder if you could put them in this deck and just have them become like amazing top decks later in the game with All Will Be One. And the card that I'm thinking of here is the green one that just looks at your top five and picks any permanent and puts it into your hand. So then you would be replacing blue with like a tomb with ether for energy. And then like the, I think it's called Invasion of Ixalan. Yep. One in the green. I think it looks like your top four, but. Uh, no, it's top five. Is it top, top five? five? Okay, that's good. Four defense. So you'll only get four counters. You'll get four damage if you draw it later in the game. And it finds your all be one, it finds your Obnixilus, finds your tablet of completion. <laughs> Gotta find the tablet of completion, of course. Yeah, it's certainly worth doing. So you're, we're still adding a third color, <laughs> is your point. <laughs> but a tomb with ether makes it also smooth, buttery smooth with a tomb with ether. Yeah, it, there's, that's not a bad idea. I like the idea of blue just because it gives you super generic interaction on turn two. Like, sensor and negate just stops their two or three drop, like, it, no matter what it is. And so green basically is like, we have to almost be like a turbo combo deck. We we can't interact with anything that they're doing, and we're doing everything at sorcery speed instead of instant speed. But it still might just be better. So I think those, those are like two angles to pursue, and we just have to find out which one's better. And are you moved at all by the battles plus all will be one? Once all will be one is in play... If you're not so far behind, you will win the game. Like, I was doing all kinds of nonsense stuff, like resolve Narset, like kill a creature, minus it, hmm. find the Harness Lightning, kill two creatures. Like, you just, you, you're, you X for one them incredibly fast. The problem is getting there, right? We're resolving a five-mana enchantment. That turn doesn't do anything. So that's why I'm just really prioritizing either, you could play green also for your ramp. Like, maybe you don't play Tablet of Completion. You play Sylvan Carry Added hmm. um, as a blocker, right? Like, I, I think I'd make that switch right away. And maybe that's just the way to go. And then you could play like the red green uh, battle as well that like uh, rummages a card and also puts a treasure into play um, as a possibility as well. Invasion of Ergamon. Yeah. I just, I was really prizing being able to play like my planeswalkers onto a clean board. And that's a lot easier to do if you like have mana up, right? And you can like harness lightning or sensor or whatever. But if you add green, maybe that's just like a lot more stable base. And if you just play like enough generic removal, like maybe you don't even play Harness Lightning, maybe you don't even play Other Hub, and you just like let your Planeswalkers win for you. So I was going to ask if you can just cut the Planeswalkers, but you feel like they're an important part of just like going over the top with the enchantment. Well, the way this deck is built, you know, before I needed the Planeswalkers, that was my win condition. I didn't have this infinite combo. I've cut way down on Planeswalkers. I only have five of them in the deck. Um, and I think the three mana Chandra is actually pretty mediocre. I just wanted a, a fifth way to play uh, all be one on turn four. Mm -hmm. So if there's another way to do that again, like I'm saying, I think green gives you the ramp. So maybe that's like, those are the two builds I try. Of course, I just love like, is it, that's like my generic play style. I love just like keep all my mana up. Am I going to tap tablet completion? Am I going to cast experimental augury? Like. Like experimental augury with a few random permanents in play and all be one is just like an insane card. Like three mana, do four damage split however I want, like an insane electrolyze. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess it also lets you give yourself an extra energy, so that triggers again. Yeah, gives myself an extra energy, add any counter to tablet of completion, add a counter to filigree silex if I want, add a counter to whatever planeswalker might be in play. Yeah, maybe it's all too cute. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm liking a lot of the cards we're talking about in the green version. I think I would maybe not play the other hub then. Let Sylvan Carry Added fix my mana. Um, and then just, like, play out Nixilis and then you, just any other random card that... Oh, it has to do exactly one, though. So maybe we do need other hub. I don't know. We'd have to think about it. The hub is too free. Gotta play the hub. Gotta play the hub. Yeah. You could also even play, like, the green card that um proliferates or fights okay instead of the thing that makes two energy and and um or you know and so you could split them because the proliferate actually is the card that's going to kill with with a mix list in play 
Or the one that uh, gets a land, Thirsting Roots, proliferates or gets a land. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, that's the card I'm talking about. Yeah. So, like, the fight half is not good because we won't probably have very many creatures, but... Well, this one doesn't fight. This one is... Oh, it doesn't fight. Yeah, yeah. it finds a basic or yeah. proliferates. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to, yeah, you know, so I, I think there's definitely something there. Um, I do think the key, though, is you want to play all B1 first. You want to play all B1 on turn four and then win turn five. Because that blanks, like, a bunch of different decks do not have instant speed interaction. I list a bunch of common ones here. Mono white, mono green, grease fang, decks that just, like, tap out on turn four to put Atraxa in play. Uh, red green boats. They don't have a way to kill all B1 on four in their main deck, and they don't have an instant way to kill a mixed list. So if you just do this, you have won the game. They, If you just find it, you won't do it every time. But, like, decks are not equipped, those decks are not equipped to interact with this combo at all. It's like a splinter twin when people are playing, you know, <laughs> stomps or whatever. <laughs> they don't, they can't interact with what we're trying to do. So yeah, I think, I think the point is I found this deck to be like very functional as a more fair deck where I was just like resolving all B1 and then resolving like a four or six mana Chandra. Having the infinite combo as a borderline free splash, I think makes this deck way better and gives you outs to just win games. Or you're way behind. Cause like I just listed a bunch of decks that are tier three, tier two or tier one. Where you just win if they haven't killed you already. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. I was like eager to hear your report on the first draft, and it was very sad when it got cut short by the Harness Lightning bug. And I don't know if it's not fixed, so maybe we have to play the green version <laughs> and just not do the Harness Lightning thing, just so we can like finish a league with it. I don't even know how to check. I've like Googled, like Reddit, is Harness Lightning still bugged? And all I ever see are people saying like, I think the Harness Lightning is bugged, but no one ever plays it, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone knows, they could post in the Discord or send a message to Dan at uh, Faithless Brewing on Twitter. We would love to hear. Very true. All right, next card up is another one that um, Ward and I did not talk about. I'm looking at Narset Enlightened Exile. Four copies of Narset Enlightened Exile. David, tell me about this card and what do you like about it? Okay, so it's one, a blue, a red, and a white for a 3-4 human monk. And it says creatures you control have prowess. That's pretty good. And then whenever it attacks, exile target non-creature, non-land card with mana value less than its power from a graveyard and copy it. You may cast a copy without paying its mana cost. So a few things that people don't realize. One, unlike Arcanist, this does not exile the card permanently. So you can cast the same three or four power, or excuse me, three or four mana card over and over again, assuming it goes to the graveyard, right? So you can cast uh, Consider over and over again. It, it never leaves. Two, it's from a graveyard. So if you countered or killed your opponent's fable, Narset gets that. Um, if your opponent thought sees you earlier in the game and you were, and you get to attack with Narset, you can target their thought sees. So that already is just super powerful. Uh, I heard Todd Anderson. He is Tandy MTG on Twitch and Twitter. He was saying that he thinks Narset is kind of like Shieldred, where if you untap with it, you're very likely to win because it's so powerful. I want to go one better. So all the lists I'm proposing have the same shell, which is four Bitter Reunion, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker, four Narset. Bitter Reunion and Fable of the Mirror Breaker work very well together. Like granting haste the turn you get your um, Kiki-Jiki token is awesome. Granting haste to Narset when it comes into play, that is our, you know, Todd Anderson untap. Let's just do it right away. Let's not wait for removal. And Bitter Reunion naturally puts itself in the graveyard. And again, Narset can get any non- uh, creature non-land. So it can just hit Bitter Reunion, which is better than a draw card, right? It comes into play, you discard a random uh, a card of your choice, you get two new cards, and then you can grant haste in the future. Um, so I've got two shells with these 12 built in. So one is a blue-red, like, Pyromancer shell, where my Pyromancer is third path iconoclast, because that triggers on Bitter Reunion and Fable. We have Fiery Tempers, because that works with Fable and Bitter Reunion. We have the eight one mana cantrips, we have four fiery impulse, we have four meeting of the minds, um, and then a couple of treasure crews. Again, Narset is unique. Unlike Arcanist, it's not putting too much demand on our graveyard. So treasure crews can, if you got a, an eight power <laughs> Narset, I guess you could cast it, but you can recast consider like during your turn, put more cards in your graveyard. Uh, when Narset attacks, it's not removing them. It's easy enough to get it up to four power, so you can actually cast meeting of the minds from your graveyard. Uh, it can always get a fable. Let's say they counter your fable. You just get it back. Uh, so that's one shell. The other shell is like red-white 
with the blue splash for Narset, and that's playing Bitter Reunion, uh, Fable, Narset. For Reckless Stormseeker, another card that pumps power and grants haste to, to Narset. That's interesting. Jeskai Ascendancy, a super cool uh, card that I'm interested in playing with Soak the Flames and Narset. Uh, Raise the Alarm is a card you can cast over and over again with Narset, and then it gives you tokens that get pumped. Uh, Rawls Reinforcements, uh, another two-mana uh, sorcery that makes tokens. And then like a one of Gideon. I don't think people realize that you just play Gideon, minus it. It makes Narset a four power that turn. Or let's say it was already in play. Like we play Gideon on four. We play Narset with a bitter reunion in play. Gideon made a 2-2 the previous turn that chumped, let's say. Gideon sacks itself. Narset goes to four power. We grant it haste with bitter reunion. We attack with Narset. We get a Gideon back. We can minus it again if we want. Uh, or make another 2-2. Um, yeah, I just think this card is like super awesome. The only thing holding it back is the Jeskai mana cost. Like, can you make those colors on curve? How controlling, how aggressive do you want to be? Stormseeker is just super cool with uh, Narset. It just immediately puts it to four power so it can get back and stoke the flames or whatever. So you're finding a lot of really cool stuff to do with Narsets. I'm almost on board, but I think I'm just stuck on Narset itself. Like, I'm not quite sure why when you see this card, you see like very high power potential. Whereas when I look at it, I see like four drop doesn't have an ETB only has three toughness you have to like basically have to pair it with haste. Otherwise you can't realistically expect it to do anything. Okay. Well, first of all, it has four toughness. Just so we're clear. It's three, four. Correction. It has four toughness. All right. That's a little bit better. It always attacks with four power because it's always going to cast a spell from the graveyard. Okay. Minimum. Then that's not talking about buffing any other creatures. That's with nothing else in play. But that's like, that's like next turn. That's after you've cast your four drop and had it survive. Whereas Dreadheart Arcanist, the widely panned two drop. Um, if I just want to recast spells, I mean, Arcanist recasts a good chunk of the spells we're talking about here. It's, it's really only missing on a few of them. It misses on all of them. It doesn't cast my opponent's fable. It doesn't cast my own fable. It does. It can only cast instant sorcery. So it can't hit bitter reunion. But fable won't even be dead by the time Merset's coming online. Well, I'm, Gonna get Thoughtseize. <laughs> I mean, my opponent gets <laughs> to cast spells. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, just I, I like Todd Anderson's comparison uh, to Shieldred. Shieldred's another four drop that we dismiss because it does not have a come into playability. We all agreed that that's that was our assessment, right? Yes. This is a four drop that doesn't have a come into playability. Unlike Shieldred, it gets way better with haste, though. It comes into play and draws a card and makes like three to four mana. Every time it attacks, it makes three-ish mana and draws a card. It's like a super mana morphos every time it attacks. All right. I see part of the Shieldred comparison, but I feel like that's not why we were wrong about Shieldred. Like, Shieldred just sits there. It doesn't require you to do anything. Narset, like, you got you got to make up for the time you lost casting Narset. You have to attack. You have to have stuff on your deck that makes it worthwhile to do this. That's not even guaranteed it's going to survive the attack, much less the removal spells. Yeah, I, I guess to me, the, my default plan is removal spell on one, removal spell on two, reckless storm seeker, play Narset, flashback removal spell. Okay. Like if, if I can just do that, and again, removal spells aren't good against every deck and yada yada, that curve itself is actually like borderline unbeatable against other fair decks if they don't specifically kill Narset that turn. So then you're envisioning Narset casting one spell the turn you play it, and I mean, how, how many spells does it need to cast to win the game? Two, three attacks should do the job? Well, again, Reckless Stormseeker pumps Narset. Narset has four power that turn. It attacks and pumps Reckless Stormseeker and itself, let's just say this scenario. So it attacks as a five power at least, and Reckless Stormseeker is attacking as a three, four, if Reckless Stormseeker gets to attack. If we get to cast another spell before our turn and then attack again, we're attacking for like another 11 or something. I mean, it's we're not having to cast that many spells to win the game. Like, granting mm. prowess to a couple of raise the alarm tokens or, like, whatever. I fire impulse your elf on my... I pass you. You play a, whatever, a ramp spell. I cast raise the alarm. I pass on my... Your end of turn two. On turn three, I play reckless drumseeker attack for two. You play a planeswalker. I play narset, give it haste and attack. And I attack for, like, 12 or something. 
on turn four, and then the next turn I attack for like twenty two if I can cast like another spell. Because I flash, I mean, you can flashback raise the alarm. It's so like the the turn after that I have four raise the alarm tokens and a reckless stormseeker and a narset. So you play your five six and you know whatever you draw a card with, Kiora. I'm attacking with four one ones, a reckless stormseeker and a narset, and I get to cast at least two spells. So like all my one ones are three threes. And my Stormseeker's four power and my Narset is six power or something. So yeah, that's that's twenty-two damage. Alright, so some of this go wide potential of Narset is being unlocked more in this Jeskai Ascendancy tokens version. I think I'm starting to see how that would happen. I think in the Is It version, just splashing Narset, where it's more like Narset has to solo the opponent with maybe a little help from third path. I'm not as convinced. Like there, it just seems like a fancy Vage Rock. <laughs> but I'm prepared to be wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, does it need to go in a more aggro shell? Does it need to go in a more control shell? I just think it does so much when it attacks. Hmm. It really rewards you. Like I've got a bunch of other cards listed here. Like you could play it with the like Baird uh, Kumano faces Kazakhan, right? Like Kumano on turn one, Baird on turn two, trigger, get the one, one. By the time you uh, are playing your um, Narset, you actually have like four or five bodies in play, possibly. And Kazakhan is another card you can buy back, again, because it's a non-creature, uh, non-land. Um, you can play with Restoration of Iganjo to like, maybe you could build in like a reanimation plan along with your uh, Narset if you want to play like Restoration plus Fable plus Bitter Reunion. Yeah, that's actually kind of what made me think of Age Rock is... The ability to like recast not just instants and sorceries, but also other permanent types turns out to be pretty cool. There's just like very few cards that actually do it. So if you're talking about like rebuying a permanent saga or even a planeswalker, I think Teferi was legal when we did our Vage Rock week. Um, it just like suddenly gets like a lot more powerful than it may look at first glance. So yeah, Restoration of Iganjo seems really interesting. Of course, we start with the fables and yeah, I guess Bitter Reunion makes sense too. I mean, I think the haste there is so important. Uh, the one other card, we haven't even talked about it. See the Truth. Oh, God. <laughs> Does that do anything? Maybe Fable, discard, see the Truth. Eventually get to cast it for over and over again. It doesn't exile from your graveyard. <laughs> anything? Anybody? All right. Just, I'm just putting card after card. This card's insane. <laughs> you know what card I really wanted to talk about was the, the two-mana PNLR that triggers off cards being cast from exile? What do you think of that? Like, not necessarily for this deck, but... So I've got, I've become weirdly obsessed with the, we get to play eight copies of the one in a red XL two cards from the top of your library. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's like, I've been wanting to do that. Cause I, I talked about it with the, uh, the four, four that pings every time you do a damage, excuse me, every time you cast an instant or sorcery. So I started like drawing up shells for that. The, um, you have to help me out with the card name, Dan, that flips. It makes a red every time you cast an instant or sorcery and it, it does a damage to your opponent. Oh, Bergy got a storytelling. No, the, the red one that you said was unplayable. It's like a four mana. Oh, Urbrask. Yeah, the, the new Urbrask. The great work. So it's like, man, like eight of these is awesome. We should be doing something with this. Like prowess isn't really good enough. I really like the red card that like adds a plus one, plus one counter every time you cast a red spell, but it's so, you know, fragile dies to <laughs> stiff wind. But yeah, this chick is actually kind of sweet. You cast one of those on two, the card state of the next turn. You could play her and a land and a spell. So you get two thopters. So it's, she's kind of like a two mana. P and Kira, but they also have haste. It actually seems really good, right? Yeah, I mean, triggering off not just spells, but also lands played from Exile, that's super generous. She's the first of her kind, really, that like rewards you for that specifically. But I mean, I don't want to play Receive the Truth. I want to play eight of those other guys and just... Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you and I just love moving cards around, so it's like we have eight cards that draw two cards. <laughs> yeah, but you get Thopters to help you move the cards around. Yeah, like exactly. Little Amazon so drones. Yeah, and then if you, you know, maybe you're playing, um, like, Stoke the Flames. It's like a quote-unquote free spell with your Thopters. Yeah, there's there might be something there. Could play Narset in that deck. Power yeah. up all the Thopters. <laughs> you, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Can you make her a Thopter somehow? So she gets haste? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, giving Narset haste. Okay, that's the key. And speaking of giving creatures haste, we have one last deck list here that um, actually looks super sweet. 
and it's built around a three drop called Urborg Scavengers. Urborg Scavengers, this did make my top eight list, and I'm curious to hear your take on it, David. Yeah, I don't think Urborg Scavengers is actually good in a fair deck. So you guys were talking about, oh, is this maybe like a Soul Flare-like card, or is it more like a Graveyard Trespasser? Now, mm-hmm. I'm one to love a uh, Graveyard Trespasser, as you know, but I don't think this does the same thing. The key thing about Graveyard Trespasser was always a two-for-one in the face of removal. Mm-hmm. Urborg Scavenger is actually very vulnerable, especially to red removal. It dies to stomp the turn it comes into play with its trigger on the stack. So I don't think you want to play it... Um, as a quote-unquote fair card or a way to attack your opponent's graveyard. I think you want to think about it as Soul Flare 5 through 8, right? We talk about the Rule of 8 a lot. This is the Rule of 8. Uh, you guys mentioned Haste. Yeah, that's the only way I want to play this card. So uh, I'm playing with Soul Flare. We're not doing the Neoform thing, so we're not vulnerable to a lot of the cards that people are bringing in against Neoform. We're all in on a Soul Flare or Urborg Scavengers winning the game for us. And because of that, we want to play as many haste effects as we can. We're playing the full eight Adult Gold Dragon, a classic, and Questing Beast. Um, and then we're playing 16 Enablers, so four otherworldly gays, a Dan mm-hmm. Shriever favorite. Love it. Four Thoughtseize. Like I said, this is the best card in the format. Can preserve our Urborg Scavengers, take their Thoughtseizes, take their counter magic, take their stomps away. Uh, four Tainted Indulgence. I think this is the best two-mana spell to discard because it is instant speed, and instant speed matters with Otherworldly Gaze and Grizzly Salvage, and then Grizzly Salvage is the other one. Um, so we're playing the full 12 of the Fast Lands now that we've got Dark Flick Shore. So this, this is the list I played like a Esper version that was more controlling of this back in the day with just Soul Flare. If you didn't find Soul Flare, it was really hard to win. Now we're going to find one of these dudes every time. So the plan is we... Do the Soul Flare thing. That's awesome. Or Urborg Scavengers is like pretty close because it can be a 4-4 the first turn, right? You play it. You exile your adult gold dragon. So you have a 3-3 flying haste lifelink. You attack. You exile anything else. Hopefully it's a striped river, river winder or is a topple, but maybe not. And then all of a sudden you're just hitting for four in the air or double striking if you're lucky. And it's either indestructible or hexproof or whatever. Uh, and that's already just pretty good if if you can do both then then you've not won but you're way ahead and if it's just some or the other then you know it's not that bad i mean even just attacking with a 4-4 haste lifelink on turn three uh and and yeah maybe the white deck gets to exile it with the uh, nosification that's still not bad it's it's a fine trade so i don't think i'd fully processed that the airborg scavengers picks up all of the abilities immediately like i was kind of thinking in my head that it just got one ability per attack like, cause it only gets one counter per attack, but that's not true. Like you get one counter per attack, but you get all the abilities immediately. And a uh, counter when it comes into play. Correct. So the, the turn it comes into play, we're really, so that's why we have the full haste. So uh, you've seen some of these shells with like an adult gold dragon or two, or maybe a questing beast, like the Neoform list that also play soul flare don't have any haste granting abilities. Hmm. Um, we're all in. We have we have eight of those because because that is really important to the scavenger. And then our other eight are striped river rinder. It naturally puts itself in the graveyard. Hexproof is super important. And then Zatalpa has all the abilities, but haste. Um, double strike and indestructible are super attractive. And so our our dream right is we grizzly salvage to find our scavengers. If if you are free to do so, you want to play scavengers over soul flare. If they don't have mana up to kill your creature, let's say they tap, they tap out and play Fable, right? Fable, it should be broken. It's I resolved it. Okay, resolves. Grizzly Salvage on your end step. If we can hit uh, Adult Gold Dragon and Zatalpa, then we'd much rather uh, play an Urborg Scavengers than Soul Flare because Scavengers is going to get bigger every turn, and Soul Flare is locked in at four four. Scavengers is already four four at the end of that first turn, um, and is only going to get only going to get bigger. And attacks their graveyard, right? If they have a Kroxa or whatever. Or if they're playing a Traxa, right? Like, they put their Traxa in the graveyard <laughs> and we take it. So that would, in theory, just kill them in two swings, right? Like, you're dealing four with double strike immediately. And yep. then the next turn, six power double strike. So that that's lethal. Uh, next turn will be five because it doesn't get another come into play trigger. It just gets one. Yeah. Ah, uh, that's right. Darn. Okay. So you do 10 and then 8. Yeah. But I mean, with the way most decks work, right? 18 is going to be functionally lethal. Yeah. 
Okay, so Scavengers is just like a much better Soul Flayer then, because it functions even when you're under Graveyard Hate. Almost a Graveyard Trespasser that's also a Soul Flayer. Yeah, we just have to be very aware that certain decks are going to line up very well against it. If a player is good, right, let's say you're playing against like the red-blue transmogrify list, Scavengers is very mediocre. They can counter it, they can kill it with the first trigger on the stack, right? They've got a bunch of one mana effects that do two or three damage. They've got multiple two mana effects that do two or three damage. Um, so in your post-board games, you have to really think about what you want to do. Do you want to protect your scavenger? Do you want to play more hand disruption? Do you maybe want to play like, uh, what's the green instant that gives plus one plus one hex proof? Hmm. Yeah, I guess resolving that initial counter is, is a bit of a sweat. Like it does start as a two, two. Yeah. It's not great. But. Yeah. So like red, black in theory is good against it. We know it just takes people a long time to adjust to play patterns. So there's just going to be a lot of red, black players that like tap out and play their, you know, blood tithe harvester. They tap out and play their fable on an empty board. That just seems like a reasonable thing to do. And they don't realize like functionally letting scavengers go off is basically like letting your opponent, you know, hit their grizzly salvage into mm-hmm. uh, grease fang. Uh, it, it kind of puts you way behind the eight ball. It is a little vulnerable also. Bo- both it and Scavengers are vulnerable to Liliana, which red-black decks are playing like two of these days, mm. a one or two of. So that, that's a very good card. Even against the tall ball, even against Riverwinder, uh, they can still get you. All right. I think this is my favorite of the ones we discussed so far. That's six first drafts for March of the Machine, The Aftermath, I think we should leave it here, but uh, David, I mean, how are you feeling about the set now that we've had a chance to like look at some lists? Yeah, I mean, I, I like these cards. I think they printed a lot of cards that are really unique. Each of these cards does something that is a little different than anything we've seen before. Um, you know, Omnixilis gives us a combo finish. Sarkin has a, you know, whatever, soft synergy type of thing. The Scavengers thing is, again, it's not a combo that wins a game, but it's a soft synergy that can be very good in certain matchups. So yeah, I love all this. I actually really think this set is super cool. All right. Well, on that positive notes, we will leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) And we will see you next time. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, David. Take care. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time as we open the Brewer's Mailbag and field your questions about the latest news in the multiverse. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.